Hello, everybody. This is one of your hosts, Mike Piscatelli. And your other host, Raymond Wong Jr. And we're here to wish you a happy new year. Before we dive into episode 10 of season one, this will be our last episode, um, we just want to take a moment and say, happy new year. Welcome to 2021. Uh, right now it's December 22nd, but by the time this airs, it will have been the new year. So we will have survived 2020. Uh, knock on wood, and arrive in 2021 ready to continue our pursuit of happiness. We know that during this pandemic, you've had a lot of places you could spend your time, but if you've chosen to spend it with us during 2020, we hope you'll join us in 2021. It's been a joy having you as a listener and a part of the team, and we look forward to you joining us continually throughout the years. Happy New Year's. Okay, boss. In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are all graced with the presence of a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him wherever he goes, my dear friend, the lovely Raymond Wong Jr., Thank you, Michael. I'm, 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 I'm thinking small today, by the way, just so you know. All right. Well, that will magically align with what we're going to talk about. This is episode 10 of season one. And today we're going to depart from our normal standardized bullet pointed set of discussion. And we're just going to zoom in on one topic and have a casual chat. Um, so no real rules around this one, but the topic that we're going to have a casual chat about is something we haven't researched ahead of time and we haven't discussed ahead of time. It just caught our attention. It was, um, a piece of research collected, but hadn't been reviewed. And it's about an article about, um, why the left should ally with small business. And so, I have a feeling today we're going to be giving small business all kinds of love. What do you say, Ray? You know, the, uh, we, we, we talked about, <clears throat> we spoke about, uh, you know, as we continue to evolve the, the, the podcast, um, we have to remember that there's going to be all kinds of segments and an opinion needs to be very clear. That's one thing that the um, mega media organizations do okay is they've started to flag uh, uh, articles with a semi-transparent, uh, smaller than typical font uh, opinion on it. So <clears throat> very cute. But more and more, they're trying to be transparent by using transparent text. So um, we too want an opinion period, right? Where, where Michael and I are just going to come straight off the cuff um, on what our feelings are. We're going to speak from the heart. So Michael, you said love. I completely agree. We're going to be showing a lot of love because it's all about showing how we feel about small business and what we think is a heartfelt solution to the challenges we have in our Republic. I completely agree. A lot of the theme I think theme's a good word for it about um, maybe de decentralizing our human experience, right? We want to alleviate some of the issues, the conditions that are 
really uh, frustrating or even impede one's progress along their pursuit of happiness. Things like hunger, homelessness, ignorance, sickness, those are all things we have the capacity, capability, and, and a mutual desire to not have to deal with, right? Or to help each other resolve when it comes up. And so that we can continue on this pursuit of happiness. Well, one of the things we love doing as humans in a society is delivering products and services on a small scale. Like we, you know, we've, we've always kind of, as far as economics goes, we've been merchants long before we've been managers. Just let I, that sit in for a minute, right? You're letting it sit in with me for sure. Uh, so um, we think about the, the way that the American spirit started in the way that the nation was born and the nation was not born by mega conglomerations in fact the greatest leap forward for for our nation has always been when we gave away land and when we provided land to people right when you give land to people uh, which you'll find michael and i are very passionate about land ownership and it's not just because the founders were landowners and you could only vote if you were a landowner which is a shame that's a that's one of those bad things we got rid of right but it, when you think about that ownership of your democracy or your your republic if you will it starts with you right and and business small business starts with you so what's more american or what's more baseline solution than small business? It's, it's, it's people empowering themselves and rising. The freedom, yes, the freedom to create your own prosperity. Doing, and those around you. Doing what you want, right? right? Like, I think about the art of baking. Like, I think about, you know, all the things that we can produce as individuals, provided we invest enough time and skill and love in in delivering something right and then people oh profit profit well you know if you deliver a good product mm -hmm. you're you'll you'll make money if you know if that's what you're really trying to do now you want to be a mega million billion billionaire well that's a different that's like a different psychology entirely and i mean you've already heard us talk about that a little bit and i don't want to digress from small business <laughs> go ahead <laughs> The small business. Okay, so you're, I know I'm, this is very exciting and opinion will always be very unorganized for us. I'm sure that's the goal here, right, is to get away from that traditional uh, step. But yes, small business is the obsession here because uh, when you think about small business, um, it really is the only way to buy American, right? We've all been tricked by this tag, uh, this propaganda. If you're old enough, yeah. you remember the Buy USA, right? Made in the U.S., made in the, in the USA. USA. And that's part of a propaganda machine that we kind of fell for because made in the USA isn't even necessarily small business, right? Made in the USA is a stepping stone to um, not made in the USA. Uh, those companies that are big enough to be made in the USA typically are on the edge of either crossing over and not being local anymore. So here's the challenge. Any national brand, and Mike, I need you to step back and push me back a little bit here if I'm wrong, but any national brand, once it goes nationalized, once they're in more than one state, they breach the possibility of being a local business or a small business at all, right? Because they're no longer investing locally. Once you nationalize and you centralize, 
and that's a bigger issue. I think you could be a national business, but if you centralize, you are no longer a small business. You are no longer contributing on the grander scale, right? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll split hairs with you here. My compromise position would be saying the biggest business that could still be considered small as a part of a franchise. Touche. That'd be it because, you know, you're keeping the ownership. It's like it is a small business in the community where it's operating. It is, but it's the very edge, right? It straddles both sides. It sits on the fence. Somehow the fence doesn't cut them. It's sitting on the fence and there's a leg on either side. One side is this, you know, branding, marketing, um, centralization aspect of franchising. But then, but when you think about, locally made, sourced, whatever, there's some of that being offered through it. Unless it's like, I don't know, a McDonald's where McDonald's owns its own farm. They've centralized the farm. So you're not buying from, you know, the community. So that's one of the areas where franchising gets too big. Even franchising is too big. I would say McDonald's is too big to be considered small business regardless, right? Mm -hmm. So can we just pull it into context, make sure I'm understanding what you're saying and that everyone is, is along with us here is that, so what we would be saying here is that um, a state, it may behoove a state to say there is no national ownership allowed of brick and mortar within their state, right? So you almost could say any national company that wants to do business brick and mortar in the state of California must be franchised. So Apple, whomever, if they want to do a flagship it has to be franchised in a way that it reinvests in California state government, yeah. and California tax structure. I that agree. sounds that, beautiful. The community. Me. Yeah. Right. So like the, it's the, it's the city that's getting the tax benefit through the sales. It's the County that's receiving that property. It's, it's the state that's receiving the corporate income tax because they're not ha located in Texas. You know, they're not incorporated in Delaware like they mm -hmm. do it, you know, like I would say, not yeah, the, ben the benefits the benefits and the services stay within the community. Maybe that's like the definition. And it's interesting to me because I think what you'll get from the major corporations is they'll be like, oh gosh, you know, it's going to be too expensive to compete, blah, blah, blah. Well, then, they, you know, scale should be, scale should be unattractive. In America, scale should be unattractive. Like centralizing and scaling and automating, everyone's so afraid of their jobs. I feel like we're actually talking about a solution, Mike, thanks, because I feel like this is like real, like this is, sorry, I'm saying I'm really, I'm really excited. So I'm using my um, like typical phraseology, but what I want to say is that what an ex ex exciting idea you threw out franchise and now I'm mystified. And now I, I hope that other people are, are feeling that as well. And I want to agree with you in the sense that it's up to the state. Every state should have the right to push back. And in a sense, they do. But our challenge, I think, is that those, those our politicians or our state leaders and our governments are, are counterintuitive. You know, they're giving big donations or, sorry, big, big socialism They're driven grants. by donations. And the, easy, the fewest phone right. calls you can make to get the money you need to campaign, <laughs> that's, your, that's your dialer list. <laughs> but then you turn it around and you give... You know, and we could even be balanced. I'm not saying take away corporate socialism where we give them money to open a, where people court 
one of the largest companies in the you know world now to to open their second headquarters you know we don't we don't need that type of situation where cities are pitted against each other and if cities do that there should be we as the people should have laws in place that say a city can do whatever they want to throw away money but they must put that equal amount into the small business structure so bringing it back to small business i am all for corporate welfare but then you better equally match on the small business side, corporate wealth, you know, small business welfare, right? So we'll give you a billion dollars and we'll give a billion dollars to the local community. It, mm -hmm. It's not happening. And I'm willing to compromise. If you want your corporate greed issues, I guess that's where we compromise. And you know, we're not going to do it, right? So maybe each of us only get 500 million. That sounds fair. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that check. Us as a small business. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, this idea of locally owned and operated, uh, I think it's, it's really important. And then if you think about the democratization of, you think about that in terms of democratization, you are giving people, you know, even it's a property it's not land per se lands another topic which you know really associates and equates with freedom but but being able to journey along your path um your pursuit of happiness requires a little bit of prosperity you know even if it's just if it's just lubrication to get the engine running or whatever you know you want to be able to generate money it's nice to be able to generate it with your own skills wherever you are wherever you go you know people this is a very mobile society now. I mean, after who knows what will happen, what kind of behaviors will be entrenched after COVID. But in general, at least before that, we were pretty mobile. And, and there are a lot of people who didn't want to be tied down to land or only bought homes because they felt confident they'd be able to resell them, right? So they never really felt like they had to stay anywhere for 30 years, the length of a mortgage. Um, but that's not traditional. That's, that's relatively new. Um, but in any case, it's nice to just, it's nice to be your own business. I would like to see more people become their own business, be entrepreneurs, participate in the capitalist system to help fulfill their pursuit of happiness because it's one of the greatest things that our set of our Republic enables. Like it's our laws that allow you to own land. It's our laws that allow you to own a business and protect yourself from the bad things that can happen from operating a business. That's all our system. And it's designed in a way to help facilitate business and it works well. Unfortunately, a few people are just trying to keep it to themselves. I think it would be, it would work better for America if more Americans were getting into it. And I'm not saying people shouldn't be artists. That's a different topic. Well, you, you make a good point about sustaining a family, right? So I know that, um, and, and I, keep, I, I keep having this argument with people that um, socialism already exists. It's settled law. We can talk about that later. Um, but socialism does exist in our country. We just need to be honest about it and talk about it. And I do agree that it makes sense that if a, a, a person is trying to start a small business, would it not be helpful if they still had that basic income, right? So they can, they can keep that business running and still feed themselves. Because a lot of small businesses, from what I've understood and what I've experienced is sometimes 
the first portion is just trying to keep the business running and barely even having money for yourself. Paying yourself out is one of the last things people do, right? But what if the economy was paying you out, right? The economy is thanking you for creating jobs and is thanking you. And as long as you cannot pay yourself a salary feasibly, um, the economy will make sure it takes care of you. I think small business owners are getting a sore deal here. Uh, because so much pressure is put upon them. Uh, and then furthermore, pressure is put upon them to make sure their employees have a standard of living. So in, in a sense, when we think about the the base for folks and bringing people up, if the government was there as a partner with the small business, I, I think we would see a lot more prosperity and people willing to take the risk. I think most Americans, frankly, would say, hell yeah, I'm not working anymore. I'm going to do, do something I love. I think all of, I think I know a lot of bankers have got trouble. Hey, there's gonna be a lot of new jobs in the banking industry, folks, because I know a lot of people in there that really are are done after you know 20 plus years. They would love to focus on family, focus on art, focus on love. Uh, there's so much more out there, right? Yeah, imagine this. I, I was having a conversation yesterday actually about. Um, it ended up being the aha moment was the difference between universal basic income and supplemental basic income. And just to break it down for people, universal basic income is the idea that you put money in everybody's pack pocket regardless of anything. No test, no conditions, no strings attached. Supplemental basic income segments out people who are not eligible for other forms of assistance that may even be more appropriate for them than just cash. So how this materialized in the conversation was, I was advocating, nobody knows how to solve people's problems better than the people themselves. Give them the money, they will solve the problem. Give homeless a home, it solves homelessness. You know, give people money, they'll buy food, they'll buy their clothes, they'll buy their whatever they need to get their job, you know, do their interviews, that, that kind of thing. And everyone stopped. It was like all stopped. Nobody could hear anything past give people cash because they all they thought, all they heard, all they told themselves after that was they're going to go buy drugs. They're going to go buy alcohol. I said, no, that's a different issue. Like if people have substance abuse problems or they have mental health issues, because some of it's you know mental health related, and they were bringing that up too. I was like, obviously, based on logic, you know, I think the science backs this up. You don't give those people the cash because they don't necessarily have the mental faculties capacity to know how to utilize it to the best of to to embedder themselves. They're already they have mental health issues. They don't think logically in that sense, or they're addicted to drugs. So their behavior is going to be driven by addiction, not by a rational human trying to climb the ladder of life. So you have to take people who are broken in, in a way that makes them incompatible with society where cash just isn't going to do it. You've got to help them. You give them something else that's universal health care. And I said, let's take universal health care off the table for a minute. Let's just assume there's a unihealth. I mean, we have to make the debate and we have to pass the laws. But if there was universal health care, then people with mental health issues or addiction issues would have a pathway, right, to, to climb out of those conditions to just get out of the basement and onto the first floor. What I'm talking about is supplemental basic income to provide the first floor. So once they've climbed out, that they have an income now 
to put a roof over their head, right? To get their clothes, to go to their job interviews, to take their showers, if a job is what they want. If they don't want a job, then it gives them the resources to buy their paints, take their painting courses, you know, produce their art, hopefully start selling their art for money at some point. And then eventually their need for supplemental income will dissipate because people naturally want to be self-sufficient. That's why we want to be free. Oh, sorry to interrupt your freedom statement. I I ruined your great comment, but I wanted to say, because you're making such a good point, is that the, this, and who's going to be there to lift these people up when they take that first step out of poverty, when they take that first jump up, okay, it's not going to be Target, Target Corporation isn't going to pick up their material or merchandise. It's not going to be the art house in, 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 in New York or Chicago, the great cities, right? It is going to be the small business owner. It's going to be the friends yeah. and family that live around you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your community there. And we, we already do it, folks. That's the strange thing is we're already doing, we already lift people, but because we're so strained lifting our own local economy ourselves as business owners and leaders, We're so strained. And I can speak from a museum board of director, former president and current seat member that we struggle to keep these institutions alive. Well, corporations get billions of dollars. So help me understand why we've accepted that as small businesses. We really should band together and the left should acknowledge us. The left should lean in and say, we're going to be here not to change it completely because we know left, we know left, you can't give away the, the bat, everything, right? Because there's a, there's a system at play here. So we're saying just divvy it up a bit. So don't create an extra billion dollars, just split the billion dollars. Let's start there. Ooh, and I, I, maybe we get a bigger share because we do more for the economy as a small business. That would kind of be my push there, right? So again, Michael, like you said, these people are going to lift, but these mega corporations will not be here. They will volunteer on the holidays. They will volunteer on their once a month giving days, but they will not be there. The small businesses are there every day. They open their doors every day to the community. That's That's where you're going to purchase your supplies when you're starting out. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's everything. It's the fabric it's of society. Yeah. If it's available. At least you live in San Francisco. I don't know if it's changed recently, but in San Francisco at least, but you know, in Arizona, if a big box store doesn't carry it, you know, that we're not going to have it because it's so difficult to scale or to build anything in Arizona because of the extreme conditions, oh. frankly, the summer and all of that. So only that makes sense. I'm thinking about here. St. Mary's, Georgia, where, you know, my, my family lived for a while and the local communities, like one community, St. Mary's has tourism. Okay. So it, it can sustain some semblance of economic activity in it's quote unquote downtown, but the neighboring town is all boarded up. It's really sad, the main street, because there's a Walmart nearby and Walmart just, just was a vacuum for everything. There's a there's a Navy, um, Navy base near there, which I think is like the biggest employer in the region. But you can see the effects on the ground. It's so real. And then, like you said, in, in an area like Phoenix, where there's nothing but people everywhere, you can just drop these massive um, big box stores and then that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, and then you won't even see or find or look for potentially 
some of the other things, right? They're just not as convenient. Well, long story short, you know, there is so much value in, I was thinking too, even back to that, not universal basic income, but supplemental basic income and the idea that, you know, maybe we would even encourage people to become entrepreneurs. Like, I don't, I know the SBA has certain programs and whatnot, which is nice, but it doesn't seem effective. And so we got to think of more effective ways to not only inspire our entrepreneurship, but make it a little bit more accessible. Um, we just call it what it is though. Can we say that the SBA is lip service and the SBA is propaganda? Okay. Because the SBA is meant for you to feel like you have a hand in this game and you don't. You don't. They give you just enough, just enough. So it is the it is the right system, and it's which has been help. underfunded. It's underfunded. all debt, isn't it? I, I can't think yeah, of like a, 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 a grant. There's no grants. It, like, what does it do? Doesn't it protect the corporation? Right, the issuer of the loan. Doesn't in, it provide? In a lot of, yeah, there's usually a, a some percentage guarantee. of guarantee of coverage of default. It's like, just push into the, the, more corporate we, welfare. We, we, you're right, we back a portion of those, we being Americans, anybody who's a taxpayer, anybody who pays taxes is backing those deals. Don't, don't fall for it. Don't fall into the socialist conversation. Michael, I'm telling you right now, this is opinion, so I'm allowed to be loose today. Uh, you cannot fall into social conversations. When people say socialism, you have to say, oh, it's settled law. And then they, yeah. there's nothing to be, it's done. We, we do it every day. So people that are trying to trigger you saying socialism and such, please. Uh, be it's a tool. It's a tool. It's been cool. deployed. We enjoy it. It works. It works we where we deploy it. it. We agree yeah. with you. And it needs to be deployed in the small business. It needs to ensure that that small business owner, the only thing they worry about is keeping that business afloat instead of worrying about feeding their family, making yeah. sure their child goes to school and college, making sure that their child has food when they leave the house, making sure their child has health care. Can you imagine if the only thing you had to worry about is making sure your business was successful? because everything else, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was taken care of. Oh, if only we had a document that guaranteed that. Life, you're, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> if only. <laughs> That's my and, opinion, Michael. And your business is, you know, is a vehicle. It's a part of your engine, your personal, you know, your personal, your family is, you know, that's your economic engine that, that yeah. travels with you, propels you along the pursuit of happiness. Well, you're in the car, right? So when you're in the car together, you know, and we talk about this, we're going back to episode one, right? The, the, the Republic is, the Republic is here. That's our chassis. And the democracy is the vehicle. It's the steering wheel. So you're the driver or your wife has a steering wheel too now, because we're more modern. Everyone has a steering wheel, you know, and, <laughs> and, and you just, even the kids, because they're out, of, they, they pull you. So it, this car you're driving together as a family and you're all well, passengers. And if it crashes, everyone's affected right it, it's a do because and the democracy the chassis how well well was the chassis built that's 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 the hardest part of the car right the, the rigid part so if you do get crushed between two major corporation semis does your car survive because the chassis was solid or does your car crumple and is your family harmed and I mean that all visually, right? I'm sorry for such a graphic visual, but that's the frankness right now is that we are all on these little highways surrounded by these giant semis that could take you out. 
what a heavy responsibility, right? And those semi-trucks have more responsibility and sense of responsibility than the corporations that are pushing them across the nation. Think about that. You know, they have to, those truck drivers have to be more, have more integrity and more um, hard work and more um, know-how to save American lives and make sure the products they truck across this country that benefit that corporation. We're surrounded by it. I've always told people that the highway is like a really good example of your economy. Um, and it, it gives you a good, a good feel of what's going on, you know, and, and how busy it is. More accidents, unfortunately, is better because it's more economic activity. That world is changing and small business will bring us there, right? When we're not getting on the highways and driving 20 miles to the best art store, when we have an art store down the street and we can walk to it, the American dream um, is going to be real beautiful. That's what my, in my opinion, I hope, I hope for an American dream where we're all walking to stores and we know each other. Mm. It's a community again. People be, uh, are more than a resume. Right. Maybe it's it's so much more fulfilling to be a whole person, express and, and express your whole self and be your whole self everywhere you go and like not have to slice and dice yourself and market and sell it. I mean that's that's just my opinion on how I feel sometimes about the way we herd people through the labor system today. Mm. I have to be careful. I think now we're going to break away. Just a moment. We need to hear a word from our sponsor. Even though you've heard it before, it's still true. The war is never over and every battle counts. I know you are tirelessly demonstrating good citizenry on the daily through actions and words, and you donate your time and money to causes that count. Thank you. I want you to know that we also need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. One of the best ways you can help is by liking our Facebook page to receive real-time updates and join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. Thanks for your support. So, Ray, I was trying to look ahead and see. I was looking at this um, in in the article that I had saved, and let me mention this because I want to pull out a quote. This article is titled, Why the Left Should Ally with Small Business. And I clipped this from The Nation, thenation.com. Um, and it's an, it's an interesting article about, you know, labor unions. I know the last, one of the last episodes we recorded recently, we, we talked a lot about labor unions. We really didn't expect to. We slipped into that. But um, I don't think we really went off off the rails there, but it, but it is interesting because it comes up again here and, and then in relation to um, FDR. And so one of the quotes that they have in here, you know, is that he, they were talking about him describing what was going on around that time and, you know, wanting to help turn around the country from the great depression. And he said, the struggle was between the large scale units of finance and industry on one side industry being like big industries probably oil and and railroads and and things like that 
and the great mass of workers and small businessmen on the other. Um, so here, the division is really between the scale and, and, and size. It's like these large monolithic centralized monopolies versus people that more resemble democracy. Um, the many over the few. Uh, you had me at FDR. I want you to know that I, d I didn't know that, and it was very... Uh... So let me finish the quote. Oh, God. <laughs> A central aim of the New Deal, he said, was to secure economic freedom for the wage earner and the farmer and the small businessman. He and his congressional allies pursued this agenda by using antitrust laws to check corporate power, enacting fair labor laws, and adopting policies that kept banks small and locally focused. I'm going to finish this. Um, campaigning in Cleveland in 1940, he described his vision of an American uh, America free of poverty and domination, where no businessmen can be stifled by the harsh hand of monopoly, where the workers are really free and their great unions undominated by any outside force. Is that, that's the end? That's the end. That's it's just answer. it's just my opinion, but you have to work on your delivery of quotes because I wasn't sure when you were stopping. To, so just keep going next time. It was wonderful. Uh, that that was amazing. All of it was such good content. I just think you could have kept say, talking the whole time. You okay, well, like, move on. Love it. I love it. Well, this is opinion. You don't get to control me like you normally do. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> oh gosh. That is, um, that's really profound. I don't know how to recover from it. And it's like, you can't add on to it, but I, right. I you have, to, I agree with it. Like I, I'm Beautiful. actually, I'm reading this for the first time right now. I was, I hadn't read actually that full paragraph. And so that's why I kept saying, oh, I stopped. <laughs> Cause I thought I was going to be done. <laughs> no, I'm um, glad. In any case. Wow. That is, um, it's a very freeing idea. Like it's very uplifting. It brings joy to me. Let me just, I, all I can do is describe how I feel when I think about the idea that, um, you know, there was a time and a place even in our history where people were in a position to avail themselves of the authority of the presidency, right? I mean, I'm assuming I have to look at the timing of all this I'm pretty sure he was president at this time because they're talking about passing all the New Deal laws, right? Um, and and to see that we had that kind of thinking and operating at at the federal level to help down on the ground to help people be more free, which to me makes a lot of sense. And I and I think it's I think it's great. And I think a lot of that's gotten kind of buried and lost and maybe trickle down economics and the, the myth that people are everything people have received, they've earned rightfully and properly with no advantages. It's like, no, you have a lot of advantages. First of all, you're born in the United States, right? And be like, Oh, you know, wow, well, wham, 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 you want to list everything, right? Well, you do have to acknowledge it because at some point, you know, having legs is an advantage to people who don't have legs because people who don't have legs don't just perish or disappear in our society. And so it's easy for somebody who's been able-bodied all their life and has maybe been around able-bodied people their whole lives to think, oh, well, you know, that's just normal. And, you know, it's 
I don't have any advantage, but it sucks to be them kind of thing. And it's like, well, you can't, you can't split those two things. It's, I, it's I hate like, to say it. their disadvantage is your advantage. I'm sorry. You can, you, and if, if you feel bad about it, that's okay. Embrace it. That's natural. Can, can we just phrase it as like, it's the idea of blessed, right? I've always been very frustrated. Yeah. My partner and I were talking about it the other day, like blessed. Well, we're blessed to not, we're blessed. And, and, and the only issue I have with blessed is first off that don't say it around me because I'll think you're ignorant. Um, but also to think that the divine hand had any place in that decision, right? That you have a better path because of a, a gift from a higher being. That is arrogance on the extreme level. And you really have to look at yourself and, and, and determine, you know, your happiness. Maybe you should be running a small business so you can be more content. Um, but uh, a couple things after what you said, Michael, beautiful statements. Um, I'm glad I tried to interrupt only a little bit. Um, the, 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 the thing is that early on in these conversations we had, and I hope our listeners have noticed, because um, I know it's just happening, but, and we're just, we're just at the iceberg, but we talked about early in our show that um, we were going to use history to understand what we've done right and what we've done wrong and where we can get it. And it just happened, right? We were pulling back this onion of history and we're like, whoa, okay, great. So this has always been the struggle, and it's good because I think we also t spoke about the pendulum that swings with the system, right? It goes back and forth. In one of our episodes, we actually spoke about a pendulum. It might have been um, some of our other co back content, but it's true, right? We're seeing it right here as we talk about it as people. And right now we're not wasting your time, hopefully filling your ear with a bunch of illogical buzz lines, but we're looking at the facts and we're looking at proven proven history where the country has struggled a great deal been extremely divided and found a way to move forward a great leap forward so i really appreciate you bringing that to head mike yeah me too <laughs> it's it's it feels enlightening um and hopeful you know very hopeful and i and i was just thinking i was going back to that whole democratizing aspect of like everybody being their own company and, and i don't think that everybody should be their own company i'm just you know indulging in a little thought experiment um and the freedoms that come along with it so now you have the ability to own and operate your own company and and you can inspire and influence people to join it or or ask them to leave it or whatnot but you're all marching towards some vision some some mission something you all commonly love or want to accomplish and you can organize yourselves uh, so many ways. I, it's interesting when I dig in the, you know, the more I research various ways to organize things um, because I love organization in general and I love systems. Those are kind of like my nerdy areas. I love big picture um, and I love how things fit or don't fit or interact or don't interact. And I always think about communism and how it's been deployed successfully. Um, and the only places, I mean, and this is, please someone educate me here and I'll keep digging on my own. But if you can lead me the horse to some water, I will drink it in regards to successful deployments of communism. And honestly, the biggest, the top one mind in mind for me are worker owned cooperatives, which are businesses. They generally are small businesses. They work really well on small scales and they work really well for workers who are interested in, in, in doing that and being a part of that kind of thing. So like in San Francisco, probably Berkeley, 
wherever around here, it's the Bay Area, right? So I know of a few and, you know, it's a really, it's a functional model. It works well and people support it. So, you know, the workers own the company and they operate the company and they rotate management and they, you know, they just have a bunch of rules. Like it's, it's a communistic implementation. They all own the company, but it's encapsulated within an economic environment sustained by the Republic. It's not, it's not like communism is going to spill over and bleed into other businesses. Sorry. It's not like it's going to spill over and bleed into other businesses or, you know, become uncontained like the old school McCarthyist ways of thinking about communism. No, there's actually, <laughs> there's ways that you can use it. And just like you're talking about socialism in the same way that we've used it in particular implementations, because it tends to be the, ends up being one of the best tools we are aware of in the time to solve that problem. And we should continue to experiment and evolve and find better ways to socialize things that are a common concern to society. Well, because we've realized uh, over the past hundred years or so, we've we've had experiments. Two hundred years, we've been experimenting with self-rule, and uh, and you know we're coming to a head here. And I think what's really important is that communism, Michael. I'm going to answer it for you because this is opinion, so I can speak to it as an opinion. Uh, <laughs> the the communism is, is not the problem. Just like our system is susceptible, it's obsession with power, leadership, and money, right? The, the, the unfortunate issue is that in communism, most time, the religious, the, sorry, the, um, the political elites, maybe the religious elites, the, the military leaders, just by default, they realize that you have to provide a means for people to support themselves. So the people in the government structure receive those, those benefits, right? And then they rise and the rest of society stays flat. Like the communism is supposed to keep everybody at the same level, right? But that doesn't happen. And then people become obsessive with power. Okay, the same thing happens in our free society. So we have to deal with this big issue, which is accountability and responsibility at the leadership level which is our acute issue with communism. And so no system's better than the other, except ours has checks and balances, which keeps the ascension from happening, right? Communism has almost no check or balance. So it's really good until you get a bad leader and they ascend to the power very easily without challenge because there's no structure to challenge it. So if I did have to compare the systems and I say what's really broken, and again, it's just my opinion, so I can't wait for people to challenge us. Um, it's the lack of, you know, it's a lack of resistance. So communism has zero resistance to the power struggle, and ours has limited resistance to the power struggle. It's an old piece of parchment, but it's held strong so far. But that's, that's the real difference in my opinion. I think it makes sense. It's, it's all about how you use it, how you implement it, and, and also scale. I mean, in my mind, you know, when I, when I think about things and model them out, scale is a problem. Scale presents a lot of unnatural challenges. So that's why small business works, right? That's why scale in general is a failure in everything. So I think when anyone gets started, if you're worried about scale because you want to feed your family, you want to make it generational, you want to get that achievement, right? But if feeding your family, again, like we've said, if all you had to worry about is building a small business, helping your community and giving back, because the economy takes care of you. You're taking care of the economy by lifting people, so you deserve to be taken care of. That's small business 
is the enemy of scale. And we're, and we're saying right here that scale is the, everyone's obsession with scaling up, scaling big, making money is the problem. It's okay to make money, but you need to do it methodically. And if you do it the right way, if you build a good product, the people will come. It's like drinking. You have to do it responsibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't drink from a fire hose, right? For a reason. But to be able to drink that fire hose, you have to sell your soul in some ways, I feel. And that's, that's the hard part is you have to dehumanize because when you really were trying, if, if these companies really dealt with their thousands and thousands of employees like people every day, they couldn't handle it. No. Drinking from a higher fire hose is a phrase we have because it's what's the problem. There's no way that I think these megacorps can truly, truly hear and serve their people without a great decentralization. In some fashion, like Mike said, franchise them out. We don't have to break you up, Facebook, but we got to franchise you out per region. Sorry. Local control and operation. It's, you know, it's an interesting idea. Um, and, and eventually we'll have to talk about taxation and all that too. But I want to touch on the Monopoly game really quick because um, it goes back to that wealth discussion we were having and these companies and the dehumanizing aspect of things, right? Everyone being reduced to widgets, to a human resource. Oh my gosh, a human resource. That's just, that really tickles the tail feathers, doesn't it? Um, it it's, it's interesting because it even is tied into marketing, right? It, the, the, the idea is to divorce you from some aspect of reality that's unpleasant. So, you know, you don't want to know how the animals were treated before you eat them. So there's a nice pretty label on the food, right? You, you need that. And, and a lot of that's been deployed and utilized in a lot of places, including when these corporations get really big um, and we run into these scenarios and then we become accustomed to them remember that that the lives we live now are completely unnatural we enjoy them they're convenient and comfortable and luxurious but they're unnatural for some <laughs> exactly so the the risk the monopoly game thing just to bring it back to that and i got to go find the article again I, I lost track of it it's i think new york magazine or somewhere else but it was a study done in berkeley Long story short is this. The Monopoly game is rigged, okay? It's a regular game of Monopoly. Students sit down. They do this thing. They run it. It's a study. They run it many, many, many times. You're dealing with different individuals. You know, there's lots of variables. It's sociology. So, you know, you're not going to put, put a feather in your cap on it. But it was interesting because it talks to neuroplasticity. It talks about, um, you know, how well we can adapt mentally to various conditions, you know, for, for survival mechanism, obviously. But we sit down at this Monopoly game and half the participants collect twice as much when they pass go than the other half of the participants. The other, another half of the participants starts with more money than the other half of the part, same, same group. So one group is starting a Monopoly game with more in the bank and they collect more each round than the other half, right? And, and what's interesting is at the beginning of the game, everybody recognizes it's rigged. Everyone's like, oh, this is crazy. It's going to be interesting. You know, they're all a little nervous. How's this going to turn out? What, what kind of ugly version of myself am I going to have to meet? You know, <laughs> these are psychology exams, you know, in a way. But in any case, they're sitting down. And at the beginning of the game, they all recognize the difference. And th they all feel a little squeamish and guilty. Like, oh, you know, 
oh boy, I'm going to be rags and they're going to be riches. And the riches are like, oh, so unfair. Why do I have to start out in this position? Okay. But by the end of the game, everybody is bought into it. The, the people who started with less and received less felt they deserved less. The people who started with more and received more felt they deserved more. And this happened over and over and over because people became accustomed to that condition. And, and what happened was is they naturally... There's this, there's a function that happens in there where they just attributed to their natural greatness, their goodness. Something about the universe just conspired to make this new reality true for them. Were they blessed? <laughs> I don't know if that was a question on the survey, but um, it's, it's interesting. It was a very interesting, and it, it's, it's also interesting that it's hard to find. So I was like questioning you know, was it BS? And I kept thinking, I'm like, no, this thing, you know, and I talked to people about it and it's almost like it's, it's almost like this niche culty thing that not a lot of people talk about. And I wonder if it just touches on something that's a little too taboo um, and it's kind of been buried or shied away because it's too broad and scary or was it, you know, a bad study? And I can't find anything like that. All I can find is like this one article from this magazine um, and other links, other references and stuff. But it's so peculiar to me because it makes sense. Like I can't even, when I learn about plasticity, neuroplasticity and things like that, it all fits. Well, it, it I mean, it's a powerful game. It's endured, right? It, it, it continues to endure. I think it deals with the very psychology of what America is. And it asks some very basic questions and families break up over it they don't speak to each other for 10 years over it right it's 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 strange that it really opens up a real chasm of what people believe how things should work in the system right because the game yes. at its essence has rules it's a plain rules system like our like our government our constitution frankly and so and and, and it it, it just everyone starts to apply their psychology to it so anything that happens in that game is just your psychology applied to it so i don't know i'd like to hear more on this one as we expand and i, I urge fact checkers and those of you listening we'd like to hear back on that it blows my mind and it just i can't get it unstuck you know it's something i keep coming back to it's 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 one of the dangers and i think about people who've been born and raised bred and live and die in this world where they only know these problems you and I can't even imagine, but they're, you know, they're only things that wealthy people would have to deal with in their lives. And, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily happier people. Like that's what the other studies, when you slice the studies in the other direction that, you know, that, and the reason why I'm bringing up money and I'm tying it to happiness um, is because it's not a means to happiness. Money is a means to products. Money is a means to services. Money is a means to conduct business, to get food. It's a means to solve a problem, but it doesn't solve a problem. And the more you have, the more you have to manage it. That becomes a problem. The more you have, the more you attract problems, quite frankly. The less you have, then now you're just a human. You're a human on a, in a concrete jungle where you can't eat anything that grows on the street. You know, so you, you need that money to facilitate that transaction. And again, I just want to bring it home. The only reason why I'm putting all of this in perspective and bringing all of this up is because people are terrified that their tax dollars are going to be given away for free. 
And in order for the system to work, I feel like, yeah, we need to give everybody money. We also have to change either the psychology and or the actual funding mechanism for doing that distribution. And I like the idea of creating it in a way where it is just a one, it's a distribution. It's not like we're taking it from one place and putting it in another. It's like, no, we've collectively accumulated this tax through some mechanism and we've decided how to distribute it for the welfare of society because it's our pot of gold. Let's put it to rest, Michael. Uh, Your money is already being given away for free. Okay. That company that you saw in the newspaper that just made billions of dollars in profit also received some of your money for doing absolutely nothing. So what you're going to find in this group of people, anyone that joins us in these conversations, we're not going to fall into the trap of talking about if socialism or if people are getting your money for free. Bezos has received some of your money. You should be pissed. So let's talk there. Let's start the conversation and ask why your neighbor did not get the money or why your friend, sister, family did not get the money. Because you're so worried about people getting your money. Well, Bezos did, and he did even less for you than that person who's struggling on the ground. That person struggling on the ground is going to lift you up while Bezos sits. It's... uh. We are, we are on the precipice of great change, and I try to stay excited because <laughs> things have become so unbalanced. The ship is so unstable now. It's listing, right? It's listing politically. It's listing economically. Uh, we're lopsided. So um, income inequality as well as wealth inequality. Wealth inequality is more than it's been since whatever I saw yesterday. It's like, oh, people are already starting to talk about the 2020s, like the roaring 20s. I'm like, all right, well, we know what happens when that balloon pops. <laughs> oh, goodness. And, you know, it just it harkens, even makes me nervous because Democrats are coming back into power, um, which is like, oh, you know, guess what? They get to clean everything up. So let's just finish. Let's finish breaking everything. It's, it's not the blue wave, Mike. It's uh, more and more I'm feeling like it's the small business wave. Yeah. And, and quotas or not, you know, we've been talking about it a lot, but I believe we will continue to see people choose where they want to live. And it's not going to be Phoenix. It's not going to be San Francisco. People are going to move to small towns. And these mm-hmm. small towns that we've forgotten will have a renaissance. And they will experience an economic opportunity unlike anything else. And guess who's going to be there to service them? It's not going to be the banks. It's not going to be the big box stores. It's going to be the small businesses that rise, right? But then once any type of notoriety happens to a city, does it get assimilated into the system? Or do we build a new way forward? I think Michael and I are suggesting a new way forward where we say, I could go to Walmart and save a dollar, but I want to, I want to support my neighbor. I want to know that uh, someone's paying a living wage. I know that this is going back to my community. Small towns have something right. They have a lot of things right. But against the big cities, small towns understand that they rely on each other and that's why we have a lot of the division right now is because small towns feel like they're all by themselves Um, and as this new shift forward happens small business is the way to give everybody a chance to participate supported small business enabled small business and shared socialism with the mega corporations big oil big pharma whatever you want to call them mike 
I'll give it back to you to bring us home. Yeah, big ag, big agriculture. We've got big everything now. It's a problem. It doesn't serve us well. Um, yeah, and the last comment, just uh, I got to wrap San Francisco here because we know we've always recognized that small is better um, in so many ways because, you know, we, we've got the neighborhoody ordinances and all that in place that keeps all of the big name, you know, businesses out. Yeah, but thankfully, the thankfully, but, the neighboring cities will take care of that. They have a softer <laughs> operating environment, so they sure do. big tech can can that's right on the border out of the city, right? Everything's right. <laughs> you, you you can still find all of the the big box you want right around the corner. Small town here, but um, I I agree. I'm I'm looking for that. I'm I'm looking forward to that for the future. And speaking of the future, we're looking forward to future episodes because that's the end of this one. For more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, register to log in and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. We've been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. It has been opinionated. (laughs) And more to come. It's been something, that's for sure. And special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jocks under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.